Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, hello, all of my beautiful freaking people. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. It is such a fucking good one today, you guys. Faith Harper, the author of the books Unfuck Your Brain, Unfuck Your Intimacy. Y'all, if... If you ever wanted to read a book that was written with the same flair, if you will, as Eat, Pray, FML, these are the ones she is my fucking spirit human. So sit back, grab a fucking cocktail, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe us, Jen? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not in chapter 6 yet. <gasps> he did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this episode. Besides the fact that these books are so incredible. And I first picked up Unfuck Your Intimacy. And within the first 10 pages was like, oh, my God, I have to share this with my listeners, with my readers. Um, The stuff she goes into, and it's not only about sexual intimacy. It's intimacy across the board. How our trauma relates to that is it's just so incredible the way she is able to break down all of these things that we as humans go through. I do want to make you aware of a couple trigger warnings. I feel like every episode now is triggers here, triggers there. Um, But we do talk a lot about past trauma, PTSD, sexual abuse. Um, There is some suicidal ideation, but But, you know, we're digging in deep with a therapist. So it's all it's all in here in in little snippets and forms. So I do want to make you all aware of that. But Faith is my kind of woman. She she showed up raw, authentically, as she likes to call it, tattooed and foul mouth. So, you know, this is the place for her to be. So let's get into our interview with Faith. Faith Harper, welcome to FML Talk. I am so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. I picked up your book, Unfuck Your Intimacy, and within the first 10 pages, I was like, everyone that follows me needs to read this fucking book. It, it, there's so many gifts in there. It's, it's incredible. So I'm so excited that you're here to uh, chat with us about all the things. Thank you. That was actually the first book I wanted to write. It ended up not being my first book, but that was my baby. That book was the one that was super important to me if I was going to write anything. So I'm excited that you liked it. I love that. And I can see why. So can you give everybody a little bit of um, information on your background as, you know, a trauma therapist and what it is that you do? Yeah. Um, I, I'm basically just a therapist in private practice in central Texas. Um, and, I wasn't planning on being an author. Like that was never 
like anywhere in the spectrum. I mean, the only reason I went to graduate school is because I was making $28,000 a year and thought that I'd like to make 40. Uh, (laughs) So it's important for me to be really honest when people are like, how did you define your career? And I'm like, I don't know. I tripped and fell into everything. Um, And I had done a TED talk a few years ago locally um, that just sort of hit at the right time with the issues around intimacy that were really important to me was something they were looking for for that year's theme. And then people were like, you should write a book. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'd love to write a book. Like, like this is everything I know about this. And, you know, I just get very excited and passionate about these kind of topics so I don't get invited to parties because nobody wants to talk about trauma and sex at parties. <laughs> uh, so I'm like, if I put it in a book, maybe I'll shut my pie hole. Um, so really, uh, it, that was the book that I was working on. And then the, um, the book that a lot of other people know me for, the Unfuck Your Brain book, started as uh, I realized that I sort of had to always kind of step back with clients and explain how the body processes um, trauma and how trauma lingers, because that also affects intimacy. And I sort of wrote up, my plan was to make like a handout for clients, not a book that sold through a million copies, but here we go. Um, <laughs> I, like, I, I'm, like, I'm really like, I'm not being self-effacing. This is actually my life. Um, and on a whim, I sent it to the publishing company that I still publish with, who I adore. And I'm like, hey, it's like, do you, maybe we could like make this a zine or something. What do y'all think? And they're like, oh my God, nobody is talking about it in this way. Let's, you know, can you work with us on development and stuff? And I'm like, I can put my ego in the corner with a juice box and crayons. Like, I'm good. Um, <laughs> And so that was why that book came out first. And then when I said, hey, like, this is the one that I really want to write. They're like, oh, yeah, we can do that, too. Um, so then we you know, published multiple books over the years since then, because they were like the like you nobody knows who you are. You know, you have no following you have. I mean, you've got a lot of letters after your name, but you're not like this social media guru. Most places don't want to mess with you. And so I lucked into a publishing company that didn't care about all that and just really liked the message. Oh, that's that's, great. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important because it's such a powerful freaking message. And I can't imagine not having these books out there because it's not marketable or we don't know the demographic or you don't have a social media following, which is all fucking bullshit anyways. Yeah. And that builds slowly. And I'm not looking to be like social media cute. Like I don't hashtag for shit. Um, the people <laughs> that follow me or like were looking for me and they like that I post pictures of clouds that look like, you know, penises as much as I post about trauma, you know, like it's basically just, you know, my pages and what I'm interested in. And so I love that the people who follow that are the same. Like, I don't feel like I have to sell a diet tea or anything. Um, yes. Yes. And they, yeah. And they were very much like, yeah, you know what, if it only sells a couple thousand copies, whatevs, but we think it should be out there. Nobody was expecting millions, but here we are. So enough people, other people go went, Oh, this is radical. This is cool. Nobody's talking about this. And that's, you know, and this needs to be out there. Like you're saying, like, thank fuck somebody did this. Um, So it's, yes. It has all been like people putting it into other people's hands, like how you found it and you've been putting it in other people's hands. That's how I've built everything. I've not been on Oprah. I've not, you know, had the the spread in the New Yorker. It's all been people going, oh, well, you know, like if you can handle her language, she's kind of foul mouthed and tattooed. This is good info. 
Okay, well, let's just start with that. I've never read a book where I was like, holy shit, this author writes like I write with like F-bombs and fucking like crass kind of just like in your face language. And that was my favorite part. I was like, oh my God, it's like reading my own writing. This is fucking great. <laughs> because it doesn't work if you don't sound like yourself, right? Yes. Like, I I am bilingual. I also speak academia, um, but it's a miserable <laughs> language to think in. Um, and I knew that the authenticity was important. And, you know, every once in a while, I'm like, oh, you're trying to sound cool and you're old and you're not cool. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely old and not cool. Um, but I'm not trying to sound like anything other than myself. Um, and so I do because an idea is going to be communicated clearly and there's going to be a belief at least like you may not believe it for your own life, but you believe that I believe it if I'm expressing myself in this very genuine way. So whenever people ask me that, like, oh, you're just trying to get teenagers to read your book. Like, I, no, that's just what I sound like. Um, much, to I the love chagrin, it. much to the chagrin of the department that I graduated from. That's me. Yeah. You're, you're, you're like, no, I'm just fucking cool. Sorry. Um, yeah. So, or deeply uncool and don't give a fuck. Right. Which is, which is even better. Um, yeah. So normally I don't, you know, have questions written out for an interview, but this one was different for me because there's so much in your book that my audience is going to really, really want to hear. So forgive me as I have my little piece of paper right here. Um, Let's start with how does our upbringing and our education and our sexual history impact our current intimate relationships that we have? Um, good question. And the answer is, you know, everything. I mean, everything has some level of impact. Um, one of the things that I, I talked about in my boundaries book was even just attachment styles that about 30% of how our attachments play out as kids carries over to how we are adults. So there's no, you know, it's this much or this much or this much. All of that stuff informs us because our brains are paying attention to everything we want a surety in our lives and we want to feel safe and we want to stay alive. And so that mid part of the brain is processing all that stuff all of the time. So it would rather err on the side of caution and have you tap out of something when you're like, no, no, like this is my partner. Like, this is a good thing. I like this experience with them. And your brain's like, nah, maybe die. Um, you know? <laughs> and so all of these things, um, you know, all of those childhood experiences, those shaming messages, the, you know, the, the cultural norms about, you know, what you like, what you're like versus what you're supposed to like, um, you know, all of those attachments, all of that stuff ends up coming into play. And so therapy tends to be like sort of kind of picking at that big ball of thread and getting stuff unraveled. So we can go, oh, that's where that came from, or, oh, it's some of this. And, and some of that. Um, and so that's why the book was just like, here's everything I know about that. <laughs> um, so people can start thinking about that in, in their own lives and bringing that into their own therapy experiences. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many things to like, when you go down the list um, that you can recognize as being like, oh, this probably has something to do with why I act this way with a yeah. romantic partner. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some different traumas that you find show up and affect relationships most often? I mean, sexual trauma is always going to be a big one for people. Um, and that may even be not necessarily, um, an assault, 
of some kind, but any any history of a relationship where there was some level of coercive control or sec- I, I have worked with people that sort of were sexual early on as kind of a fuck you to their, maybe their parents or something. And then their, but their body's message of like, yeah, I don't really want to do this. And so there's issues there where even where it wasn't something that people didn't consent to, but it didn't feel good and right Mm -hmm. for them. And that stuff tends to come back up 10, 20 years later. Um, And, and so that, you know, that is a big one, but really any trauma can anything that activates our sense of being unsafe in the world, because there is a lot of sort of slowing down and trust and things that have to happen in order to experience intimacy and anything that kind of activates a sense that we're not safe can then become and become involved with that. Um, So I think that, I mean, any trauma can play a part. And I mean, you know, so people think, well, I didn't have a sexual trauma or, you know, I may, may, it could have been something that there was something sexual that happened that was not out of the range of consent, but still wired in a certain way that this is not really what I want to be doing with my body. And that impacts stuff later, you know, people, a lot of times after we settle down and we maybe have a family and those kinds of things, that stuff starts resurfacing. Like I have this level of maturity to start maybe looking at all of that. And so things that felt fine, like I didn't really need to be super embodied to enjoy having sex. And now I'm realizing that I want that. um, And I'm having a hard time experiencing that. So what's going on? It was really easy to have my body involved, but you know, not my heart, not my soul, not these other things. And now I feel really gross and icky with the person that I chose to be with who I love. So what's going on with that? So, cause I have people like, why is this a problem now? We've been together 10 years and this was the problem is, you know, these things come up when we have the capacity to deal with them. Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. Yeah. So you're saying that traumas that have nothing to do with sexual experiences, like for example, if there's someone who has a death in their life or someone, you know, um, is in a really traumatic car accident and ends up in the hospital for recovery for a very long Mm -hmm. time, any, any type of trauma in that sense can show up in your intimacy life. 
Right. Because, it, I mean, a, a, tra- a traumatic event is anything that overwhelms our ability to cope. Right. And so a trauma response, it's an, it's a nervous system injury. And so if your nervous system is tight and wired and holding all these things, how do you how do you release oxytocin, which is the trust drug? How do you make those kind of connections that we want to make with somebody else? How do we be really present in those experiences when our nervous system is hurt? Um, so it makes a lot of sense to me when people say, well, oh, well, it was a car accident, but you're, they're still holding a lot of that and, and their body's very wired and hypervigilant. How would you relax enough to have an orgasm, right? Um, right. It, makes, oh, it makes sense to me. And I think sometimes therapies, people going like, this is what's going on. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that makes sense because of X, Y, Z reasons. And they're like, oh, shit, I'm not crazy. I'm like, no, you have a nervous system injury that needs healing. And that's a completely different thing and a different way of approaching this kind of work, I think too. Yeah, totally. And there's, yeah, there's, that's so spot on for, I'm sure so many people that are listening. I want to give, um, those that are listening a kind of real world example. So of course I'll throw myself in the ring. Um, I was with my ex-husband for five years and the last probably two years that we were together, um, really the, the majority of the time that we were married, he was very, you know, always wanting more, more, more sex. So we would be really busy. We would have sex maybe like two to three times a week and it was never enough. He would want it like once a day, if not twice, like 50 shades of gray style, which is never going to happen. And it became like this constant job almost that Mm -hmm. I felt. Um, and there were times where, you know, he would make me feel bad if I was tired. And it was like always that complaining factor. How does something like that? Cause I know other women have experienced that as well. How does something like that infer your future, uh, intimate relationships? Well, I think in, in that case, you were feeling super pressured and then your partner was feeling rejected. You were both hurting in that dynamic, right? Because the communication wasn't there of, you know, a lot of when I'm working with couples, it's like, Hey, I want more than what my partner wants. I'm like, well, first of all, I appreciate that you're having that conversation. Um, I appreciate that you want your partner to want to, you know, to desire you, you want to have sex with them, not on them. That's 90% of the battle right there. So good job. Um, and then having, you know, the conversations around, if that's true, if you want somebody to be all in, how do we build a life where you were both feeling like you may not get all the sex that you want all the time. And we're in, you know, we're on the upside down cross and we're in the sex swing and all these things. Um, but it feels really good and fulfilling when you have it. Um, and, and so when starting from that place of, you know, re- rebuilding the communication and rebuilding, you know, all of the strategies that help us reconnect to our bodies. And, you know, you read the book. So one of the things, you know, we talk about, I talk about in there is the sensei focus exercises and getting people reconnected in that way. Um, like, cause I can't, like, I couldn't make you want more sex or make your ex want less sex. That's just right. a differential desire, Right. So how do we work with that? Because every relationship has differential desires for sex, for going out to eat, for how many cats is an appropriate number of cats in the house, you know, all of that (laughs) stuff. And so all of it is a negotiation. And most of us struggle with all of those negotiations and especially around intimacy. So we get really pragmatic. You know, if there's a trauma history and we can 
really rebuild some comfort with our bodies, then there's exercises that we do with that. You know, Sensate Focus is just old Masters and Johnson stuff. It's been around forever. Um, you know, if it's about communication, it's, you know, I tell people, like, if you have to hear something uncomfortable from your partner, how do you best hear uncomfortable information? Okay, can you, because people are going to have to say, hey, my feelings are hurt. How do you best hear that? You know, and so really not just talking about communication skills, but communicating about how we're communicating um, and talking about, you know, what feels, you know, it's it's okay to be disappointed if your partner tells you no, it's really not okay to be butthurt. <laughs> Let's talk right. about the difference, you know, and kind of getting very granular with those kinds of issues is, you know, there's, there's similar themes in many relationships, but then how it presents in an individual relationship may be different. And so we can kind of, sometimes I'll even let people like fight for a few minutes, you know, just cause I'm like, okay, now I got it now, right. now, now I see what's going on. Okay. Um, you know, so it may be very individual to a certain situation, but there's there's definitely themes there. And a lot of it, people think, oh, well, you're, you know, you're talking about crazy sexual positions and stuff. Now I'm usually talking about trauma. I'm usually talking about communication. I'm usually talking about date nights and who's helping with the dishes and everything else every other therapist is talking about, but is building blocks to feeling that the sexual intimacy is more satisfying. Um, there's right. a really good book, Marty Klein's book, Sexual Intelligence. I love, like, he is, like, just the consummate um, old Jewish man. Like, yeah, you know, sometimes things don't work right. It is what it is. You know, <laughs> like, and getting people to that point where when things don't work right, you laugh and you still feel good about the relationship. Um, you know, things don't stand up right sometimes and bodies don't react the way we want them to sometimes. And all of that's part of it. In fact, I don't even like words like erectile dysfunction because it presumes something's wrong versus just how bodies are. Right. And once we can have communication around that and be flexible with that, then the intimacy ends up getting better, even if the, 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 the sex itself doesn't really change. Like it's still two times a week, but it's like great when you have it and you both feel really good. Um, and, you know, and that's always the goal. Yeah. I want to go back to something you said, you want to be having sex to where you feel like you're having sex with someone, not on someone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, I think a lot of women, I, I know a lot of women have expressed feeling that way when they're you know, tired or don't want to have sex for whatever reason it may be. And they're convinced to, it's just like, okay, let me just like lay here and get it over with, which is such a horrible thing to have to feel. Um, so how do you suggest if someone's in a relationship and that's happening, how do you switch from the, you know, having sex on someone to with someone? Yeah. And I think, I mean, we also have to parse out for, for cis women are, and I, and I, and I honestly, I think for cis men and other people as well, that there's a level of responsive desire, but especially for cis women, we don't tend to like drive by the fire station and go, he's a hottie. My nipples are now hard. (laughs) We don't do that. Like our sexuality tends to be responsive to begin with. Um, And I think that's really important information as well of recognizing, like, I don't have to go into this turned on, but if I go into this experience of connection with somebody else, I may, 
I may get turned on, especially for communicating, but if I don't, and I, I also don't have to have sex. So um, starting with, it's okay that if it's responsive and we're doing sensate focus or, you know, we're watching TV and cuddling and you're rubbing my feet and then I might kind of get into it. That's great. If you're really not, you know, you got the pounding headache or you just hate a stupid face or you know whatever else is going on. It's and that's, you know, that's why even with working with couples, I kind of lead with that comment because people laugh, but you can also hear like, eh, I might have actually kind of done that. And that's that's, you know, we don't want to be penis cozies. Um you know? oh my god, that's the best fucking term I've ever heard. Yeah. And there <laughs> there definitely are relationships. And I know, you know, historically we've been told like, well, just do it and keep your like, especially for like, you know, cis heteronormative monogamous relationships, like, well, just keep your man happy, just do these things. And we're realizing no, because the body is also processing that as a trauma. What I was saying, like mm-hmm. there may be events where you consented and even it's like, yes, I want to have sex with you. And I'm going to but your body really didn't. Um, All right. So you are, you may be injuring your nervous system because you're not in, in alignment with what your, your needs and wants and desires truly are. I feel like that was literally the last year of my marriage. Was that everything you just said The I don't want to be doing this, but you're pressuring me to do this. And because you've been pressuring me to do this, even when I would naturally want to do it, I don't want to do it. And it became that fucking like, okay, let's just do it because it's a responsibility type thing. Hmm. And it was affecting me in more ways than I knew um, with, with the aftermath of that. Yeah. And I, I hear that a lot. Um, unfortunately, I mean, in all kinds of relationship dynamics, not just heterosexual, monogamous, gender ones. I mean, a lot of, a lot of relationships have that dynamic. So if between you and me, we can get people to start saying, I love you. This is not a rejection of you, the person, but this is a rejection of that offer for your penis in my mouth right now. And they said, oh, I'm disappointed, but I'm not butthurt. You are allowed to have your own thoughts and feelings and desires. And I'll go have a wink in the shower. And everybody went on with their lives. Like, think about how much better the world would be. (laughs) Oh, my God. You are quickly becoming one of my favorite people. Um, Yes to all of that. Um, Okay, so I know a lot of people that listen to this show have either been cheated on or have had broken relationships in the past. Um, How do you even begin to do the work to repair a relationship after that trust has been broken? Not even necessarily by cheating, if it's a lie, um, and the people that are choosing to stay and fight for their relationship. How do you even begin to come back from that? Um, so, you know, what's interesting is the research shows that most, most relationships do about 70% do, um, the difficult work is in the person who broke trust has to be sorry. And I don't mean that in a flippant, like, fine, I'm sorry kind of way, but truly I really hurt us, um, in doing that. And I am so sorry. And I don't want to be that person. And I don't want to hurt you in that way. And I want to figure out what's going on with me that got me there. And I want to rebuild us. And the person who was harmed needs to believe them. Mm. Right. And like, and that's the foundation. Like, that's how we come back. And, and the rest of it is just about the dance of that particular relationship. And, you know, what 
people need for that rebuilding and what the person who perpetuated the harm was like, oh, like, well, I'm feeling this. I wasn't communicating that and, and call it like that slipping and falling into a puddle of sex. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not feeling loved or respected at home. So, you know, I've been complaining to this coworker about it and we became too close and then our clothes fell off, you know, those right. kinds of things <laughs> of like realizing what, what got you down that path because most people aren't out there seeking it. It is something that they sort of slipped and fell into and didn't realize like the, all these red flags on the field, like they were going right. into a place that was harmful for the relationship. Um, and it also is really important for the harmed person to believe them, to believe that they're genuinely sorry and they're doing the work and they're they're doing the accountability and they really want to rebuild their relationship. Because I work with people that are like, I don't, I don't believe him. Yeah. I don't think he's sorry. I don't think he gives a shit. And I'm like, that's fair. You don't have to. You know him better than me. I can't make that determination for you. But therapy, couples therapy isn't going to help you. Right. Um, because I have well, to yeah. with the two of you facing this problem together. And if you don't believe him, you know, maybe some, you know, some individual therapy might be helpful for you as you think about and make this decision. But couples therapy is money wasted right now because of where you are and where you are isn't wrong. It's just reality. Um, and so yeah. that's always the question that I start with is, do you, do you believe him? Um, you know, do you or her or, um, you know, do you do you believe that they are, you know, deeply unhappy with what happened in themselves? And because the person who perpetuated the harm also perpetuated a moral injury. Right. Yeah. They have to live with the fact that they went out of alignment with their morality. Um, mm. And so there is a deep pain associated with somebody really taking accountability for having been in an affair or some other kind of, you know, sneaky, lie, harmful thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's very important to recognize that the, the, I'm the being sorry and the accountability is so important, but without the action that follows that and the changed mm -hmm. behavior, that's just a word. And right. that needs to be reinforced with what follows. And a lot of times people are so much of it's internal work. Um, and so a lot of what I'll ask clients is, you know, can you externalize that for me? Because I don't know what your internal process is. Could, you know, you help me understand what work you're doing, you know, because like, oh, well, you know, there, this affair happened and he travels for work. And so I get really anxious every time he travels understandable right um and he's like oh yeah well this is what i do or if i'm feeling this i do this or i'm feeling that i do that or if i'm lonely i do you know and like having that even just being able to like how would i know and see what your internal work looks like because i don't know as the therapist and your partner may not know either and so explicating that like this is how i self-coach when I'm sad and lonely, um, rather than jumping on an app, you know, and sometimes it's just a matter of explaining what the thought process is and the, um, the aha moments that somebody has had internally. And that, again, that's things we're not used to sharing. Um, we're not used to doing, and we're not used to sharing it after we've, we've done it. So I ask people to make that internal work external for their partners. And that can be really, really helpful. Yeah. Big time. And I feel like every answer to every problem usually circles back to communication, mm -hmm. <laughs> like being able to communicate with yourself and your partner. Um, but that's really good to show the work outside of yourself externally. I think that's a huge, a huge aspect of it as well. Um, 
how do you know if you need to unfuck your relationship with yourself? Like, how do you first identify like, oh shit, there's some work to do just internally. Um, I, well, and I love that the younger generations take therapy, like they take any other, you know, medical care. Like I go in for my checkups, I get my blood work. I, I go see my therapist when I realize I'm like back on my bullshit. Um, and so (laughs) I, I let like my generation did not do that. Like you went to therapy when shit was fucked or you were like, you know, certifiable. Um, it wasn't yep. something that you did just because you realized like, oh, I have some really bad habits here. Um, and I get really reactionary. And so anytime you're realizing, um, we use diagnostically, we use like impact and life domain. Um, so like if we are trying to diagnose ADHD, for example, in an eight-year-old and the problem was only at school, the problem is not the kid, the problem is school. If the problem is at school and it's at soccer practice and it's home when it's homework time and it's at church and it's at all these places, then the kiddo is neurodiverse and needs some support in that area. So we're looking at, like, is it a problem in this relationship only speaks to the relationship or is this a problem? Like I consistently have, you know, my, my, even my friends are like, damn, sis, like, you know, if I'm noticing in all these domains, that can be a really good signal that there's maybe some work to be done. And it's also okay just to go do wellness work. I mean, that's the great thing about, you know, licensed professional counselors and, you know, which is my specific license is that our training is very wellness based. And even though we can do diagnostics and stuff, the idea is not assessment medication. It's about really promoting whole wellness. So sometimes it really is just about, Hey, I really never learned how to communicate well. And so I'd like to have a few sessions and really work on that with somebody. Cause that's going to be great for me in all, you know, all kinds of ways, shapes and forms. So, you know, if somebody has a suspicion that there might be something there to work on, the question is like, well, what would you want to get out of it? You know, what, what is, where do you want to see yourself in five years that you don't have now? And how might doing some of that internal work help with that process. And if that is something that you can articulate, not like perfectly and not necessarily specifically, but you have like this plan of like, oh, I noticed that I have this very reactionary anger and that's not who I want to be. Then that's telling Mm -hmm. you that, you know, therapy might be a benefit. Right. Yes. Oh, you're just dropping truth, truth bomb after truth bomb. I love it. Um, So there's a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of women and men who have experienced abuse or sexual assault, some kind of sexual trauma. And I know a lot of them are are listeners of mine. How can they approach repairing their sexual relationships and experiences after, you know, a sexual assault? Well, with the, I mean, the trauma work and, you know, one of the things that people ask me is like, do I have to talk about it? Um, And the answer is no, you don't necessarily have to do a trauma narrative to reprocess or reprocess that story. Um, There are multiple different evidence-based ways of of processing a trauma. And some people really want to focus on here and now and skill management now and those kinds of things. And they don't really want to go in and do like a bunch of like brain spotting or or something. Um, So doing your own trauma work of recognizing this is a nervous system injury. This is, this is, this is stuff that has rewired my amygdala. It has rewired my body. My vagus nerve is activated all the time. I'm always on my tiptoes. I'm always trying to run like all these other things that are going on. 
you know, that that that's the individual portion of it. And then the concomitant relational portion will be rewiring because you're doing the individual work and then rewiring that responses and relationship um, with a partner. And that's where like the sensate focus work comes in and, and those kinds of things where you're you're doing the same kind of conscious embodiment type mindful work with somebody else and when i say sensate focus it's not like college where like i'm gonna give you a massage and you put out it is really it's you know it's very structured and it's very mindful and it's not you know if people are relaxed and want to have sex after that's great but we're like we're focusing on a very certain thing and we're building new neural pathways and connection and that is very different from like we're just kind of kind of rub on each other and then go to sleep um so it it's doing that same kind of because the 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 pathway that the trauma doesn't go away we can't eternal sunshine the spotless mind those things but we want those that pathway that's been created and that episodic autobiographical memory that the brain is holding on to saying danger will robinson now about sexual intimacy, we want that path and we don't want to ever turn down our danger signals anyway, because they're protective, but we want that particular one to not get activated with our partner. So we're, we're kind of wanting it to get weeded over and we want to build a new path is how I think of it. Like that's never, ever going to go away. You may be great for a few years and then a certain smell kind of gets you, you know, activated again, but you go up, yep, there, there it is. I know what that is. I know that my breathing skills will help or this will help or that will help. And I can do things to get my body re-regulated and I'll be okay. Um, and having a partner that's like, wow, you seem really checked out. You disassociated right now. Let's stop. What's going on? Um, you know, all of those things are really helpful. And as we build these new pathways of like, I'm safe with this person. This is okay. I can say no and they're not butthurt. I can yeah. ask for this instead of this. Um, I don't, I, I don't feel like this is coercive and I don't feel controlled. And I feels like it's the two of us in this together. And once that pathway become, we're far more likely to go down that neural pathway than the old one. Cause what fires together, wires together in the brain. And that's what we're trying to do. So I was like, I don't know how to do easy work. I only know how to do complicated work. And this is what we're building. No, for. we love yeah. the complicated yeah. work. Yeah. That's the, that's the only, only have time for the complicated yeah. stuff. Can you, can you talk to people about the sensei training that haven't read the book? So they know what exactly that is. Yeah. I mean, and you can, you can definitely look it up. It's so masters and Johnson came up with it in the fifties and it's been used for all hosts of, of intimacy problems from, you know, a cancer diagnosis to, you know, sexual assault history or anything. And what we're doing is we're rebuilding connection very mindfully. Um, so a lot of times I'll have people even start, like if they really struggle with being touched, they may start by, you know, lying back to back and doing shared breathing exercises. Like I'm connecting with this person, this mindful, this is all we're doing. I don't have to say, this is all we're doing. And, you know, and then we may do hands and feet and then we may move to limbs. Like we're not going straight for genitalia. Right. And the idea is whatever the point of contention is, whether it's penetrative intercourse, you know, oral, whatever it might be, it's off the table. If you, you know, if you're feeling sexy after some sensei focus and you want to go ahead and get it on, great. But if everyone goes in with the eye, that's not the plan. If you just feel relaxed and want to go to sleep, it's also great. But we're setting aside intentional time to be with our person and these exercises. And, you know, clients are like, this is ridiculous. I'm like, I know, but it's like the best thing we got. Sex therapists, like we have, we only have a few tricks. 
this is our big one. Um, <laughs> Take it or leave it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we and I've people like, damn it, I saw so-and-so. You're like, there's like three sex therapists in town. And she gave me the same exercise. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of like what we got. Um, I said, but I need you to try it before you call me a dumb bitch. Can you try it? Um, and then you can come back and call me a dumb bitch if it doesn't work. But even people who, because it does feel awkward to be like mindfully, like you've been married to someone for 20 years and you're mindfully stroking their hands all of a sudden feels fucking weird. Yeah, but you were building a new neural pathway in connection with our safe person. Um, and so even people like I, I'm doing it, but I still don't like it. But their language around intimacy changes. And as they're talking mm. like, OK, well, what did you not like? And what did you notice? And tell, tell me, tell me specifically how I'm a dumb bitch. Um, but as you're <laughs> talking about it, like, I'm like, OK, so, you know, do you notice like your language is really different this week? Have you noticed like you you what you're thinking about has kind of shifted. So I would say that even though this is weird and awkward for you, you've got something interesting out of it. And I really appreciate yeah. that feedback. Um, I, I've had people just tell me they're not going to do it. Um, but most anyone who's tried it has ended up getting something out of it, even if they rolled their eyes in the process. Um, and then and so, yeah. you, know, you can find versions of it online. My version um, I pushed it to be as trauma informed as possible, which is why I started with, with breath work and some of these other things that aren't even about the intentional touch. Um, and it's also okay to shift it. I mean, I've had people usually like the idea of somebody stroking our face is incredibly intimate and vulnerable, but you know, I've worked with people where they're like, their face was the safe part of their body. So that's what we started with like pillow in the partner's mm -hmm. lap and they stroke the face because the face felt okay. Um, and like, and this particular couple, he's like, I'm not even allowed to compliment your body. And I think you're gorgeous. I'm only allowed to compliment your face. And I'm like, okay, let's work with that. Right. So sometimes it's about figuring out what, um, our, you know, our particular, where we're comfortable, where we're not. And that's where like somatic type work can really be beneficial. Um, I use, um, brain spotting a lot and other kind of somatic stuff, you know, yoga and all those other things to get people in touch with their bodies. Like where do you feel safe in your body? Where do you feel activated in your body? And that kind of stuff can also really inform things like sensate focus. Um, and then making decisions like, well, I really don't want my upper thighs touch, or I really don't like that. I'm like, well, do you, do you miss it? Do you want to get over that? Or do you just want that, that to be off limits to your partner? Cause either is fine with me. I don't care. Right. You know? Right. And then just the empowerment of making a decision of like, no, I really miss that. Um, and I think I'd like to work on that. I'm like, okay, well let's like work on some exposure skills around that or okay. Tell them no, tell them no here in front of me. And I'll be like, yep. She said, no, that's it. That's what we're doing. And, and let him go. Oh, okay. Sure. I won't do that anymore. Also fine. Um, either is fine. So it's not about like you have to do certain things or be up for anything. It's about under recognizing your own boundaries. Um, I want people's boundaries to not, I want them to be flexible. I don't want them to be rigid, but I don't want them to be permeable. Like there's that baby bear space in the middle, right? Where we don't mind, you know, spreading our wings a little bit and stretching and seeing what we're comfortable with and kind of, you know, dipping our toes into some other stuff. Like, I don't really know if I want to get tied up. Okay, well, I'll start with this little scarf, but don't, you know, don't cover my eyes. You know, whatever <laughs> can be, can be great and empowering, but also like, the most powerful thing somebody else can say is no. And right. being able to say that and have that respected, God, that's so healing in and of itself, right? Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm yes. allowed to find my no and I'm allowed to express it. And my partner's like, yeah, sure. Okay, well, let's go watch TV, you know, is also powerful. And again, they're allowed to be disappointed, but they're not allowed to be butthurt. 
Yeah. Oh my God. That's so true. I've had that experience with my current relationship. And I think the first time it happened from the, you know, conditioning I had had with my ex, I was like, Oh, this is a thing. I can actually be like, no, thank you. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, let's go do this. Then it was so, it made me feel so loved and so taken care of in that moment that I actually ended up wanting to have sex later because it was like, okay. Your nervous system was like, oh, cool. Like, right. Yeah. You need it. Yeah. And now I'm ready to party. Great. Um, Faith, what are the five myths about intimacy? Oh, see, I wrote that book so many years ago. You want to read them? And we you're like, talk- you're like, bitch, I don't know. <laughs> like, I love when you said that thing on page 123 and I'm like, what was that? That sounds really good. Um, but yeah, let, let's, let's read them and talk about them. <laughs> Myth one, only certain types of sex are real sex. And that tends to be penetrative intercourse, right? Um, specifically baby making penis and vagina penetrative intercourse and the number of people who are like well you know i um i'm a woman who only dates other women does that make me a virgin i'm like mm, do you don't have sex with them like I, like even just the whole idea of virginity as this thing that exists versus this sort of construct in the ether um you know piss, like however you're having sex whatever works for you solo partnered how you know whatever is fine. It's all sex. It gets to be whatever you want it to be. Yes. Yes to that. Myth two, sex is intuitive and natural. Oh God. So that came from when I did my TED talk, I had somebody like literally it was the only negative um, tweet that I got, but those are the ones that hold in our brains. Right. And it was like, how dare you not include in your definition of sex that it's natural. And I'm like, have you seen how people have sex? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, is, you know, sexual desire for most people, if you're not somewhere on the A spectrum, is it's a natural part of being human. But, you know, what I meant was that maybe necessarily how we go around that may involve egg beaters and vibrators or like whatever you're into. And that's also fine. And this idea that it's intuitive, that this is something that we just, that whole running across the field of flowers in slow motion to each other idea that we get from movies. No, like you said, everything goes back to communication, being able to talk about things and, you know, figuring out what's your yuck, what's your yum. Um, I don't even know, you know, and doing all of that work. And so we feel like this sense of like, we're doing things wrong. If we worry about our kissing skills versus going, why wouldn't you worry about something that you maybe don't have a lot of experience with and everybody has different, you know, needs and wants and desires. And then like, well, it feels really uncomfortable to ask somebody. And I'm like, well, you know, I had this conversation on a podcast a few years ago. Like, they think it takes the mystery out of the wooing. I'm like, and it also takes the rape out. So it's fine. Oh, oh um, yes. <laughs> like, it, it, can, it, it can be really sexy to have those conversations. It doesn't have to be that, may I place my right hand on your left breast? Right, right. It can be the, tell me what you want. You don't get it till you tell daddy what you want. It's fucking hot, right? It can be done in a way where we're getting that active consent, but it's Mm -hmm. still very sexy and part of the convert. Like it can be done in very sexy ways. 
Totally, totally. And going back to the whole it's natural thing. I mean, I don't know about anybody else, but when you first learn about sex, you're like, I'm sorry, they're going to jam that fucking uh, no offense, that (laughs) ugly thing into what? Like that's not nowhere in that is a does the word natural fit? Yeah. Are they going to pee in me? How does that work? (laughs) Oh my God. Um, Myth three, sex education isn't a universal necessity. Well, and that comes from, I mean, just the the huge disservice culturally that we have perpetuated. I was thinking specifically of people with disabilities when I wrote that, this idea of like, if you have a disability, either developmental or acquired, well, that takes you off the table. And that's not true. Sex, you know, sex education should be universal to everyone, age appropriate, and early on, like, you know, my kids are in their twenties. Um, when they were really young, it's like, Hey, yes, I know touching your vulva feels really good. And you're totally allowed to do that. Um, but that's not something we do in the living room. <laughs> so that's something you know, while we're watching Sesame Street. That's something, oh my God. You know, it's something that we, you know, we can do in our rooms. Um, and because, you know, other people are, you know, can be around and that's, just, it's in, you know, having the discussion about private and secret, that's a private behavior. And that's different from secret. If somebody tells you to keep a secret about your vulva, you tell mama, but private is you're allowed to touch your vulva as much as you want. We just don't do it in the middle of daycare. We do. Oh it my God. It I <laughs> love it. Oh my and, God. And so that like, that is age appropriate. People are like, oh my goodness, kids don't need to know. No, kids don't need to know about, um, you know, whips and chains and wiggly purple things necessarily early on, but that we should be having these age appropriate conversations, normalizing all of these, these things for everybody. Um, and you know, I've worked with a lot of people with disabilities that have limited their mobility and finding ways to have, you know, an active sex life, even if only with themselves, um, was very important and a really key piece to, you know, their therapy. Like, yeah. Absolutely. That's really beautiful. Myth four, sex is not that important in the grand scheme of things. I mean, if, if you're on the A spectrum, if you're under that umbrella, it may not be. But for most most of us, it is. Um, you know, for most of us, it is it's that that glitter glue in the relationship that it's you know, it really helps that connection with our partner and orgasms are fun, too. We enjoy them. Um and we are, you know, there, there are so many health benefits that we get from them that this idea that, you know, this is dirty and nasty is sort of astonishing when science bears out that we're, you know, it's pleasurable for a reason. And, you know, doing that gives us, it's great for inflammation, you know, all these other things that obviously we were designed to enjoy our bodies and enjoy them for ourselves and in connection with other people. Yeah, Absolutely. This is funny. Myth five, certain people are fundamentally undesirable and you are probably one of them. <laughs> and, you know, I have so many people that have told me that too. And I say, you know what? Like, okay, yeah, you think you're an ugly duckling. Um, there's there's at least three people out there in the world with a duck fetish. We just got to find them. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, if you're scrolling Instagram and you're seeing these gorgeous people and you're like, I can't compete with any of that. I'm like, first of all, they don't look like that either. But 
Um, more than that is that, you know, there, there's a lid for pots, right? Every pot has its lid out there somewhere. And you're, there's going to be somewhere out there that thinks that you hung the fucking moon. Um, and you think your, your ass is too big and they think it's the juiciest thing that they've ever seen. Right. And so yeah. it's about finding the person who thinks that, you know, I, I had a conversation with a client. I'm like, you want somebody who looks at you like your chocolate cake. And they just want fuck that up man um, <laughs> and that chocolate cake became like as they were dating going i'm looking for my chocolate cake i'm looking for my chocolate cake and then i, I remember thinking, love like, it. i found my chocolate cake yes yeah, think, think about the person who doesn't want he's not gonna you know thinks you're ugly till you lose 50 pounds or you get your tits done or anything else they just think that you're chocolate cake because of of who you are and that's really important oh my god i so love that yes for the chocolate cake mm-hmm. um how does a trauma response or PTSD develop from what we go through? Well, it's, so we go through, we, we were all impacted by, trauma. you know, fucked up things happen because welcome to being human. Right. Um, we're, we're all living in one right now. We're about two years in. It's yeah. traumatic. Um, and most traumas, the issue is when we can't story it, where we can't have it sort of make sense in our world. Like we need to be able to process it, maybe talk it through to understand that story because it's something that like it's that's that's that record skip in our lives, right? Like something fucked up happened that wasn't supposed to happen. Um, and can we process that and have it sort of make sense or does it get stuck? Do we never get that that chance to process it through and heal it? Most things don't become PTSD or traumatic stress. Most things we go, yeah, that was fucked up. Um, but we don't take it on and continue to carry it. And the things that we don't have a chance to work with and work through, especially for like these, these traumas that are very complex and continuous. Like if you had an abusive childhood or an abusive relationship as an adult. And it's constant. You don't ever really get breathing room to process. Um, so there's cert- you know, certain things that make it more likely for you to have a trauma response and early childhood trauma, for example, is, is one of them um, that the body just hits its done point. And it may not even be the biggest thing, but it was the, I don't have a place to put this. There is no shelf space for this pile of shit that life just handed me. And so it's still inside me. And that's what we're looking at when we're looking at something like PTSD or maybe not necessarily full-blown PTSD, but traumatic stress is that it's a continued impact. The body is still living with it as if it's present today, even though it's done. So yeah. when we say like a word like trigger and triggers become one of those ubiquitous words and we're like, I was triggered. I'm like, no, you're uncomfortable. Not the same thing. Right. Um, Triggered means I am reliving something that happened in the past right now. To me, it's my present, even though it was 10 years ago, that's triggered. And that is, you know, the, the, the things that we're looking for that, that overwhelmment, um, that being activated and living in the past, that, that avoidance, that withdrawal, that, that life becomes limited of trying to, you know, cope with not having any associations with that past issue that, that, there's not been any mechanism for giving it its rightful place is like when a trauma happens, we're a victim. And I don't say that in a, you know, like, Oh, you're a victim, but we've all been victimized. Right. Yeah. Um, And we want, when we're healed from that trauma, we're survivors. So we, 
the, the work in trauma therapy is moving from victim to survivor. This is a thing that happened to me. It's no longer continuing to happen to me. Yeah. When we can place that story as a story of survivorship, right? That this is not a thing that's impacting. Like I, I still have these uncomfortable associations with the smell of that cologne or driving down that road or whatever, but I'm not reliving when it happens. And I can go, I know what that is. And I'm still in my prefrontal cortex and I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sitting midbrain and I'm not crying and I'm not vomiting, um, you know, those kinds of things that that's where, that's where the recovery is. Not that it ever, it's, I say that it doesn't, it's not that we get better. We get better at it. Um, they, they, we're living with this thing as part of our story versus something that's controlling our present. Yeah. And so you talk in the book about how to create a trauma response safety plan, can you give people kind of a, an insight on how it is that you can start that? I mean, so a lot of, I, I try to get people to recognize those early warning signs whenever possible. Um, because once we're fully triggered, the best thing to do is to write it out, right? Is to, you know, not make any decisions, not going to work. Right now I'm super activated and I'm hyperventilating and I need to do my breathing and wait for this wave to pass. Mm-hmm. So we can't, I saw a class um, listed, I'm not going to say who taught it or where it was listed, but it was controlling your automatic thoughts. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> automatic. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, so lo- looking for those early warning signs of when these things happen, that tends to activate me um, in these situations. Or I notice like, you know, my shoulders are getting up or my stomach's roiling or my jaw is tight. What are my early, my early signs so I can you know, jump into the self-care that I need to do to get my nervous system calm before I'm over the edge and I'm, I'm living in the back of my brain. So, I mean, that's, oh, whenever we can do that, when we figure out those early, you know, those early signs, um, that, that helps tremendously. Um, and so, and I have clients like that's nuts. And then they figure it out for themselves. Like, Oh my God, I just realized it. Yeah. My dog gets tight. And so when I do X, Y, Z, when that happens, I prevent, you know, that mile of bad road that I was about to go down. Um, sometimes things come from nowhere and we didn't have any early warning signs and that vagal system, just that switch gets flipped and we're in it. And so having like safety plans in place of things that are helpful. So like you know, the trauma safety plan is, um, you know, what, like, and sometimes it's sort of like, you know, what helps you, you know, what skills help you, what people are good for you. If things get, you know, what stuff do you not, I, I live in gun country. Um, you know, what do we need to do it, about, you know, weapons in the house? What do we need to do to prevent self-injury? What do we, you know, all the, and so we get very pragmatic about this is where I go when I am trauma triggered. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, try to create safety around that up to and including if we need hospitalization to keep you safe, then that's also fine. Yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, my trauma plan is like, okay, so we're going to try, we're going to try the skills and then we'll call this person. And then, you know, here's, and I'll ask people and there's like, there's a ton of, you know, 800 numbers out there. If you're feeling suicidal, do you have one that you prefer? And they're like, yeah, I really like this one. I'm like, great. And so we write it. So we have it there on like the plan of like, I like the trans lifeline or I like, you know, the SAMHSA line or whatever it is, or I like the the texting one because I, you know, when I get like that, I have a hard time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, we build it about, you know, okay, what hospital do you like if you have to go to the hospital? Okay. Um, 
And my clients are like really good at telling me, like I've, I've sort of hit the point where my suicidality, we're getting into planet intent territory and they, they're great about telling me that. And because they also know I'm not going to flip out with suicidal thoughts in general. Like I'm not going to mm-hmm. immediately put them in the hospital because they're, you know, they're struggling with these intrusive thoughts. Um, and so when it does get, and so they know that they, they don't have to ever hide that from me. So when we get to that point where it's bad, I mean, I praise, I'm like, you know what? There is a part of you that is telling me because you trust me to keep you alive and you know where you're going right now. Yeah. Um, and I want you to continue to l- listen to that part of you. The part of you that said tell faith is the part of you that wants to stay alive. And that mm. that's the part of you that took over right now. And I am so proud of you for doing that. I'm going to go to the hospital and it's going to be okay. Um, you know, and so focusing on the, the, the part of you that wants to stay alive, the part of you that's fighting for you, the part of you who's like, who can, who can I trust to make a good decision for me right now? Right. Um, you know, that's the part to listen to. And I know it's really difficult sometimes to feel hopeful about the future. And I tell people, that's also cool. All I need you to do is be curious. I'll be hopeful enough for both of us because I think you're a badass. I think you're a survivor. I've got tons and tons of hope for you. And if you're not feeling it right now, that's fine. You don't have to gaslight yourself. I just need you to be curious. That's it. Can you just be curious about what the future might hold? And if you can do that, I'll hold your hope until you're ready to pick that up. Oh, I so love that. Oh my God, Faith, you are my kind of person. I I adore (laughs) you and everything that you are about. Thank you so much. This episode is going to really help so many people. So I'm so grateful that you responded and agreed to come on. Can you tell everybody where, and I know that, you know, with your penis cloud posting, it's not your big thing, but where they can follow follow you online Um, and where they can get all your books. Yeah. So it's um, my, my handle everywhere is the intimacy doctor and that's DR. Um, D-O-C-T-O-R-I. So um, I'm on Insta and I'm on Twitter and I have an Intimacy Doctor Facebook page. And I also have a page on Facebook for Unfuck Your Brain, which is my first first book. And so I kind of try and post to what like is appropriate for different social media. So Instagram, you're going to get the penis cloud. <laughs> Twitter, you might, you, you might more likely, you know, um, get um, a scientific article. Um, but that's where I am online. Um so microcosm publishing is the company that publishes my books and they also do have a storefront. I tell people that cause like I went to Barnes and Noble and they said, they, they said that your books are always sold out and please don't yell at them. <laughs> <Which happens laughs> a lot. Um, you know, distribution is so tough right now because of yeah. it. So I tell people like, if you're looking for stuff, just buy it directly from microcosm. I actually get like more of a cut. Microcosm is a worker owned. So they get more of a cut. Awesome. Jeff Bezos doesn't need our money. Um, but like these cool punks who publish my shit could really use it. So, and then they also, they always have deals. Um, you know, you can nice. buy, you know, sets of books and, you know, they always have deals going and they have their scratch and dent books, super cheap. And who cares if there's a, you know, a smudge on the cover. Um, so that there, those are places to, to find me. Um, I, um, I do, I check my own emails. Um, I do not get DMS. Um, and they're like, they're turned off on Instagram because there was a lot of people wanting like therapeutic advice, which, yeah. you know, my lawyer will drive down from Austin and like run me over with her car. Right. <laughs> well, and it's like, and it's like advice you pay for, not like DM. Well, and also <laughs> it's, you know, once I, you know, and I want to like help people and I want to answer questions, but then it gets 
pulled into this, this, this thing. And it's not even a platform that's secure and, um, and all this other stuff. Um, you know, my website does say that I'm not taking new clients right now and that's true. I'm, you know, I'm full and trying to get caught up on, you know, manuscript stuff. Um, if so, and and I also I was like I am only licensed in Texas, so even when I am taking people, you do have to physically be on the state. Um, and I appreciate that you like trust me and think that I'm the person to work with, but I can't work with you when you're in Iowa because again, my lawyer will drive down and run me over with your car. Um, right, got it. <laughs> so, but I, you know, I do have like work, other worksheets and stuff that I've created and put on my website, so you're you know welcome to use them and play. And if you're in Texas, you're local, and you're looking for a therapist and you're like, well, you're not taking anyone. I'm like, yeah, but I have like former students that are, and they're great. Cause I trained them. They're also foul mouth and tattoo. So Love I can that. get people. Yeah. Amazing. Faith, thank you so much for being here. I, I can't urge people enough to go pick up all of your books um, because it was incredibly eye opening. and thank you for the, the work that you're putting out into the world. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. I got to be foul mouth and tattooed with like just another member of of that group. That's, you know, I I am foul mouth and tattooed and proud. So FML talk is the the space where we all come, come together in that sense. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. You guys, please, please go check out these books. Um, I'm going to hold up if you're watching this on YouTube, then you'll see it. The book is Unfuck Your Intimacy. She has another one called Unfuck Your Brain. Um, They're really cute and little too. And it's just an absolutely incredible read that is going to give you so much insight into yourself, your relationships, all the things that we as humans try and navigate through this crazy fucking life. And I really, really urge you to check them out and go hang with her on social media and see uh, some pictures of her penis clouds. (laughs) As always, make sure you are subscribed so you never miss an episode. Keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. You can watch us live in studio on YouTube at youtube.com slash FML Talk. And as always... Have a fucking self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.